0: Welcome to DevOps Sauna. My name is Lauri and I am the Chief Marketing Officer of Efficode. Not too long ago, we held a hugely popular two-day DevOps 2020 event. We had awesome speakers from around the world telling stories about DevOps tools and culture for over a thousand people online. Since then, um, we have made these recordings available at the Efficode website and due to the popularity of these speeches, we have now made them also available in our podcast. You can find the links to the video recording and to the materials referred in the speeches in the show notes. We are also keen to feature topics that you find interesting in the area of DevOps in this podcast. Do let us hear about you in our Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn pages. This time, we are listening to Marco Clementi's speech. Marco is the chief technology officer of Efficode. Marco has joined EffiCode more than six years ago. He has been doing DevOps before it was called DevOps, and he has been exposed to many organizations and their maturity levels. At the same time, he has been keeping himself busy with technology development by participating in a number of ventures. Marco's speech is about improving your DevOps capabilities. Let's hear Marco's talk, shall we?
1: So, um, as said, for having worked with DevOps, or before that we called it software production improvement, for more than ten years now, fourteen at Efficode, I've been working together with thousands of developers, and also I've been. I've been um, happy to work with hundreds of different sized organizations in Europe and outside Europe as well. And, And as you've seen and heard already today from the presentations, one thing is, sure, DevOps is no longer a competitive advantage. So it's not something that you could seven years ago still go to and try to make your business fly faster. Instead, it's become an industry standard. And... It's no longer a question if you should be investing in DevOps or not. You had the poll, we received somewhere around 600 answers to it, and 50%, more than 50% of the answers said that they are using Kubernetes. And a big part, like one-fifth said that frequently. And that already means that DevOps is definitely being used by the participants of this conference, but also globally. If we look at Dora, uh, the DevOps research and assessment, which was merged with uh, Google something like 18 months ago, half of all organizations are capable of making deliveries at least once per week, and that's that. Really, just sounds weird. So, if you pick that high to elite performers from the last State of DevOps 2019 report, you will quickly see that half of them are able to deliver into production at least once per week. Of course, for the elite performers, that's not still much, but it's definitely something that should be looked into if you are not there yet. Some of the other interesting numbers is that um, if you pick from DORA, or then the Puppet Similar State of DevOps reports, you will see that roughly 90% of the respondents, which are counted in tens of thousands, are somewhere around 90% in the medium to elite or high performance category, which means that the test automation is in place. There is some sort of uh, continuous delivery or deployment automation already in place. They have been trying out uh, containers and similar.
0: And then if we look at, for example, CNCF,
1: the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, 84% of their respondents are running containers in production. And that, that too sounds really weird if I look, but like, even two or three years ago that that, that just simply didn't happen. And one more uh, number from Datadog, which is an uh, like analytics company and also a monitoring company, they made a state of serverless last year, and their numbers is 50% of their AVS users are running also serverless, which is A huge number. So all of the new technologies within DevOps have been already not only not only uh, taken into use by the elite performers or, or the first movers but it has become matured. So why does it still fail? So as we're already reaching May Um, You've already seen that um, in countries such as ours where where lockdowns are in place, implementing DevOps is even more relevant than ever before because people cannot collaborate the same way and and the lucky of us who are still working, uh, for example the IT business. If we look at how DevOps has been taken into use in organizations, I'm starting to hear the same as I heard uh, years ago about the Organizations saying that, yeah, we say that we're doing agile, but actually we are nuts. And now that we've found a certain level of maturity in DevOps, I'm starting to hear, yeah, we're saying we're doing DevOps, but actually we're nuts. And usually the problems come from thinking of technological problems as some of, some of my favorites are, um, we cannot automate the tests because it's not running web browser, it's a mobile or IoT device. Or what you're suggesting works on a startup or for a new product, but we have lots of legacy, so it will not work here. Or our top management does not buy into it. So we've been doing some experimentation with containers and serverless, but it's not the direction for our organization. Or then, um, yes, our competitors are doing this, but they've invested millions in it. And I'm actually really ha- happy that we've had the presentations we've had this far, because for example, from Jakob, um, Jakob in the h and presentation, the things they've done and with the pace they've done it has been such that it's actually reachable for everybody. And the same you will hear, um, later today, you will hear Rasmus speaking from Unity and they've also managed to do, uh, changes in a smooth way and, and really functioning way. I'm, I'm going to come back to that later. Also, one of my favorites is, we are so special that it cannot be done here. And that's almost, almost anywhere you go. You always at some point hear that sentence. And honestly, this world is not so complex that you would be so special. I'll let you in on a secret. The Best performing organizations fail in production. And that's not a joke anymore. So I decided to find some evidence for this. And you've already seen, so you've heard stories from Facebook doing continuous deployment, you heard from Google, you've now heard from h H&M and and also you hear more during this conference. But the thing is, the best performers in 2020 fail in production. Of course, they've invested in being able to fail in production. They've also given their teams and the development organization capabilities and permission to fail in production. But also, what they've done is they've found ways to roll back if a failure is rolled into production. And that's, for example, where Kubernetes or similar technologies come into play. So I was interested to see how the big players are able to do such deliveries um, on a a bit more difficult level. And I look at Netflix, and interestingly, if you look at Netflix release cycle for the mobile application, so I, I took Apple and App Store because it has more strict review, and the fact is that Netflix is constantly releasing new versions of their mobile application once per week, including the review which is crazy. It's steadily. Like if you go and see the the release notes, you'll see that they will be, they're releasing new versions every week. So I went a bit further and I took the 100 top browsing mobile applications and their median for new releases is nine days. So if you now think that all of those releases from all of those providers are always perfect and bug-free, you are wrong. You can get out of... The unicorn land and come back to here and see that everybody does mistakes. The way is how big mistakes you're doing and how do you recover from those mistakes. So my speak today, I'm going to be talking about three areas you can improve in your organization and the things I've picked from the high performers, the elite performers, but also things that are currently maturing as we're entering 2020. And these three areas, some of them are easier to implement and some of them are a bit more difficult. The first and foremost, which is something that uh, already Erasmus from Unity taught, uh roughly one and a half years ago in our DevOps 2018, is building the production pipeline around your business targets. And as we already saw from Jakob H&M, they are doing the same. So the point is, whatever you are doing as a business connected to your production pipeline. It might be hard at first, but honestly, I, it doesn't say automated here anywhere. So the point is just to be able to track through your business targets, what you're aiming at, new ventures, new products in the same pipeline where you put also all of the bugs and, and different change requests. That's the way you can actually start tracking your production as a whole automation builds bridges until you have self-organized teams. So once you've been able to find some way of starting the automation, and as we already saw, most of you already have, um, think of it more as bridges, like build bridges instead of ferries, than just having automation in place to make the tedious, repetitive work easier or, or removing that altogether. When you start building automation from the business requirements, you have to also find ways to stop the pipeline where you really do need some manual or brain work. And then you continue the automation. That's what the automated automated pipeline also means. So up until the, to the point as what you heard from, say, the H&M presentation, until you have self-organized teams who can make the deployment decision themselves, I propose that you build the pipeline in such a way that you connect the different teams and different stakeholders together by the automation pipeline. Adopt the DevOps platform. So, it's not a surprise that we also are working in, in the DevOps platform business with ethical roots. But also, when you look at building the pipeline to which I'm going to come later today is when you have a DevOps platform in place, you're able to start, like Legos, you start building a whole uh, system where you can actually start tracking not only how your business requirements are walking through your pipeline, but how they actually behave in production and what things you need to take into consideration where building your product and also what kind of metrics you can pick from different phases of your production. Investing in a design system, I say here, investing in a design system and testing in natural language. You might wonder why you combine these two, but the fact is that today's design systems and testing are the areas that actually bring people and the organization together. So in, in case you don't know what a design system is, design system is the voice and identity of an organization, but also a set of styles that represent that organization. So design system could start from very easy having your colors and, and the look of your applications. It can then co- go all the way to having say CSS for styling your application, then all the way to HTML components and maybe even React component components. And having a design system that evolves and also replicates throughout your a certain area of applications. For certain organizations, it could be one design system that's then replicated all over. For the design systems, you have to be able to combine the people who are working with the design and the development in such a way that you have a common language. One of my favorite examples is um, also coming from Australia. So, Australian government has started their own design system. You can find it from designsystem.gov.au. And the design system they've done is completely open source. So, they their idea with their design system is that they've started a governmental open source design system, which can be uh, collaborated by anyone. Which means that if you wanted to start collaborating to the Australian government design system, you would just open a pull request and someone from there would then uh, approve it or merge it. But when you look at modern design systems as a whole, they're also, part of them is the collaboration. So who maintains your design system? How do you manage having the design system parts uh, developed? If you have a team that's, say, working on a new kind of a date picker, And that team develops the date picker and the styles for the date picker. How do you pick them back to the design system that then can be distributed all over the organization so that everybody who needs that particular date picker can then easily use it. But also when you create the date picker, it's work that you don't want to do again and again, which means that your organization has to find a way to collaborate in such a way that you work together Uh, until you find the way of working in self-organized, and also across that. And now when we combine the design system with testing, so if we look at testing, testing is the common language, and could be the common language between stakeholders. In my example, I have robot framework using Selenium library, um, and you could use whichever testing that has natural language in it, The point is, when you create test automation in natural language, you can have discussion over the test cases, which means that if you have the business requirements connected to your pipeline and you write the test cases in the language understood by the business people, you already have an automated QA from the business requirement all the way to verifying that it actually works and ready for release. And while you're building this testing and test automation and you're writing the keywords, there is no reason why you wouldn't combine those also to the original design system. And actually now if we go back and look at the Australian government design system, they too have done the same. They're currently writing the design system in such a way that you have the React components, but also the component tests as part of the design system. And in my opinion, this year, or latest, the next year, people have started building design systems that actually include the pipeline, which could be GitHub Actions or GitLab or Jenkins or whichever uh, continuous integration or deployment pipeline. And also the infrastructure as code, part of that same source where the design system comes from. The third area. Validate business hypothesis in production. And this is actually really important part. It goes back all the way to saying failing in production, but validating business hypothesis in production is the way to go this year and in the future DevOps. It means that no way you can actually build quality assurance or automated testing or 100% verification that you can actually deliver the product bug free but instead try to find ways how you can go to production to a certain uh, level of verification. One of the ways to do that is enabling canary releases. Many of the organizations actually already have a capability to release or do canary releasing. Canary releasing, uh, in short, means that you're releasing your production version to a very small amount of your traffic or users first. And then you look at how it performs. And then if it performs well, then you can increase in steps or a big bunch the amount of traffic you're directing to your new version. So the organizations who are struggling with uh, building uh, extensive QA systems, for example, this is definitely one way to go. So finding a way how you can, with the modern tools, make releases that are smaller or directed to a smaller audience at first. The second part of validating business hypotheses in production is honestly, you cannot improve what you don't see. That also means that once you do the hypothesis testing in production, your shipping, uh, it, it doesn't have to be half made, but only a part of the features are ready, for example you don't know how it works, how your users will behave, what's the retention, and how the approach from your users or customers are to the product until you've seen it in the production environment. But that also means that having the DevOps platform in place and understanding what happens both in the development phase and in the production phase is information that you have to collect and analyze in such a way that you actually understand what's going on and what are the patterns emerging from there. So making your pipeline data driven is definitely one of the big trends that are coming. So to recap what we've seen here, um, many of the organizations try to put the blame on technology. As we already see, the technology is already mature enough for using the modern DevOps practices or bringing in the culture. But also, um, I see that when you are fixing the technological problems, if you do it together in the organization, you actually change the culture at the same time. So the culture is usually the most important or most difficult part to change in an organization, but nothing will happen unless you build bridges with automation or then find find ways of collaborating in other ways during the development. As a reminder, best performing organizations fail in production. And honestly, nothing prevents you from failing in production as well. It's just more about how do you recover from that failure Or when do you notice that there is actually a failure in production? So it's a level in between the risks you're currently taking and also the size of the delivery you are delivering. So of course, the longer you delay your delivery, the bigger it grows and the bigger also the risk for a bigger failure grows. So usually failing in production means like the terms shift left, and also finding ways to fail often, so doing small releases often. The remedy uh, from this presentation and what I see as the trends for DevOps DevOps to come from in during this, this decade is de- definitely threefold. The first one is a DevOps platform, meaning that you find a way to connect your organization through automation and collecting the information what happens on each stage. The second hot topic is design systems. And once you've established one, how to maintain and grow the design system and how to connect all of your DevOps practices and tools into the design system. And of course, it depends on you how far you're ready to go with that. And then the third one is testing your hypothesis in production. All of the modern DevOps tools already enable you to do that. It's more of how brave you are and how you find the capability in your organization to do that. I've included a QR code here. You can scan it if you want. And today you will also see from our home site, we've uh, released a DevOps for Executives guide, which has some of the things I've said today. But also, some of the areas that we feel that are also very important in modern DevOps. And it's a guide you can skim through or then dive deeper if you want to. It's a collaboration from our best people.
0: How interesting it was, wasn't it? You also heard Marco referring to the DevOps for Executives guide from Efficode. You can find the link in the show notes or look it up at our website, efficode.com. Next time around we are joined by Jacob Knutson from H&M. In fact Jacob's speech was mentioned by quite a few of our listeners and participants in the DevOps 2020 event. So it's definitely something to look forward. Jacob is a lead cloud architect at H&M and has extensive background in Microsoft technology. And is a leading expert on Azure cloud. He has over 19 years of experience in implementation and transformation projects as a consultant and now works as a lead cloud architect and is responsible for cloud adoption. Until then, stay safe and fail in production!